0: Welcome to the Project Censored Show on Pacifica Radio. I'm your host, Mickey Huff. This week on the program, we once again look at the importance of whistleblowers and the public's right to know. Killing the messenger. Why does the United States embrace some whistleblowers while aggressively attacking others? On today's program, we revisit the case of Julian Assange as he awaits a historic decision that may decide his extradition to the U.S., We're joined by Jeff Mackler, the regional representative for the San Francisco Bay Area for AssangeDefense.org. There are many events planned across the U.S. to raise awareness about the unprecedented prosecution against Julian Assange and the threat it poses to the freedom of the press around the world. Assange Defense are calling for his immediate release. We'll talk with Jeff Mackler about the history of whistleblowing in the Assange case in particular. Later in the show, we'll air excerpts of an interview I did this summer with Kevin Costola of Shadowproof, talking about the significance of whistleblowers in history. Stay with us for an hour on whistleblowing on The Project Censored Show.
1: Welcome to The
0: Project Censored Show on Pacifica Radio. I'm your host, Mickey Huff. On Today's program, we're going to be looking at the case of Julian Assange, in particular about a movement to free Assange, who is still in prison in the United Kingdom. Julian Assange was a major force behind WikiLeaks and, of course, released a wide trough of information exposing global government corruption, especially U.S. war crimes. Of course, listeners to the Project Censored show are no strangers to the case of Julian Assange. And today... We're coming up on several events around the country to free Julian Assange, and we are honored today to have with us organizer Jeff Mackler. He is on the National Steering Committee, a member of AssangeDefense.org. He is a coordinator of freedom for Julian Assange in the San Francisco Bay Area. He is also on the board for the United National Anti-War Coalition, and as well, he is the director of the Mobilization to Free Mumia Abu-Jamal. Among many other things, Jeff Mackler's also been a candidate for president. He is a lifelong activist, and he's been a real driving force on the case surrounding Julian Assange. There are several events coming up here. This show airs around the country, so some people will be hearing this program after those events are over. But the main thing that we want to do here is keep on the radar For our listeners, what's happening in the Julian Assange case. So, Jeff Mackler, thanks so much for joining us on the Project Censored show today. Mickey,
2: I'm honored to be with you today.
0: We've crossed paths over the years and struggle for many of the same things. The Julian Assange case, free speech, free journalists, free press, saying no to endless U.S. wars. Those are certainly all mantras upon which we agree. Could you just start briefly by talking about the events that are going on around the country involving the free Julian Assange movement?
2: Well, we picked this weekend of October 23rd to 25th because on October 27th and 28th in the UK, there is going to be a major court hearing where the British courts are going to decide whether or not to accede to the Biden administration's request that Julian Assange be extradited to the United States to face charges under the Espionage Act which carry with it, if convicted, 175 years in prison. So we're mobilizing across the United States and internationally, literally, in cities across the globe on a simple proposition, defend WikiLeaks founder, free speech, free press, free journalists, and no to endless US wars. Those are the unifying themes. Julian Assange is in prison illegally in our view. There are no outstanding charges against him. And the United States lost the first effort to extradite him. And they're appealing. We had hoped that the Biden administration would follow the Obama administration, which declined to prosecute Julian Assange on the grounds that it ran into the traditional free speech, free journalism problems, and they didn't want to get involved. Joe Biden, on the other hand, instructed his staff, headed by Attorney General Garland, to pursue extraditing in the same way that Trump began the procedures. So we're hoping for a positive decision. All of the horrors that Assange has been accused of, you know, have been fabricated by the United States in order to cut off support. They accused him of being a rapist. And all of those charges were dropped, Even the people who allegedly made them said that he had committed no offense. So there are no outstanding charges on that. And then they turned him into a Trump supporter because he released the tapes of the Democratic Party proceedings showing that Hillary Clinton had abused the party's finances in order to advance her campaign and give Bernie Sanders the shaft. So exposing the truth of Hillary Clinton supposedly cost her the presidency, in which case Trump is alleged to be an Assange supporter because Assange supposedly helped him win the presidency. So they labeled him as a Trump supporter and a rapist. Who on the progressive left would want to support that? Well, it turns out that none of that is true. Just last week, 26 civil liberties organizations demanded freedom for Julian Assange, stop the prosecution no to the extradition. So the support for Assange is mounting.
0: What's a good website that people then can go to to find out more about a lot of these different events that are going on?
2: The best nationally and internationally is assangedefense.org. Assangedefense.org. Click on that. You'll have a record of all the events. In the Bay Area, this Saturday at 12 noon, we have an amazing event at the Grand Lake Theater And it has free Julian Assange on the marquee. We have an impressive rally with a dozen speakers and greetings from Alice Walker, Noam Chomsky, Daniel Ellsberg, and from Boots Riley of the coup, who cut a piece to free Julian Assange. 12 noon, Saturday, October
0: 23rd. And Alan Michon over at the Grand Lake Theater, always civically engaged, always has a great marquee for events of this nature. And of course, at the Grand Lake Theater, there's a number of other speakers. (sighs) Dennis Bernstein of Flashpoints, Rick Sterling, Jeff, of course, you're there, Shahid Batar. And Project Censored is, of course, endorsing the Assange defense movement. Jeff Mackler, of course, you know this. We've long covered not just Assange, but the support of whistleblowers, and their significant importance in our history, often because the free press is not free. In many cases, the press is bought, the press is biased. Of course, corporate media known to be a propaganda arm, not just of the state, but for corporate interest, Wall Street interest, and so on. You know, Jeff Mackler, one of the other reasons I'm very grateful to have you on the show is that you've been an activist for well over half a century. You were telling me part of a really fascinating story I'd like you to share, going back to your roots during another era. House Un-American Activities Committee, McCarthyism, these kinds of witch hunts.
2: When I was 13 years old, my parents asked me to go to a bus stop in Queens, New York, to get people to sign a petition to stop the execution of Julius and Ethel Rosenberg. I went there not knowing anything about it, but my parents told me that the Rosenbergs had two boys, Robbie and Michael Mirpool, and they were gonna lose their parents. And if I got people to sign a petition to not execute them for allegedly giving the Russians the secret to the atomic bomb, I might one day be friends with Michael and Robbie Mirpool. To this day, Robbie has been a deep friend And I have been committed to the struggle against repression, against persecution, against the witch hunt. In college, I was a member of the Antioch Committee to Abolish the House and American Activities Committee. The thesis of the government and at the time the Supreme Court was that the First Amendment, the right of free speech, free press, free journalism, was subordinate to the U.S.-defined national security interests of the United States. Today, we have individuals who were called before the House Un-American Activities Committee, were asked to name names, name all the people who you associate with. And when they cited the first Amendment, that they had a right to associate with anyone they wanted and refused to name names, they went to jail for a year. And we were engaged nationwide in a, a then futile battle. It was only when tens of thousands of people in the 60s protesting in the civil rights movement, the early Vietnam War movement, began to go into the streets defending democratic rights that the Supreme Court, by 5-4, the Warren Court, basically obliterated all of the national security legislation. Not all of it, but some of it. So, for example, I had to sign a loyalty oath to get a job as a New York City school teacher. I had to promise that I am not now or ever been a member of the Communist Party. Well, those days, because of mass struggle, are gone. But we have a new version today with Julian Assange. The government is trying to find something to discredit him and say, well, he's not really a journalist. He's an information gatherer. He's a national security threat. He published secret documents of the United States. But they have problems with that. Because people like Dan Ellsberg, one of the Pentagon defendants for releasing hundreds of thousands of paper telling the truth about the Vietnam War, and I'm saying it wasn't his writings, it was the government writings. That's what Julian Assange did. He published the stories of the United States government and the embassies across the country explaining how they plan and uh, plot kidnapping, wars, death squad wars, drone wars, special operations wars. He didn't invent the stories. Nobody denied the truth of anything he said. He's being persecuted for publishing it. The government says we need to have our secrets. And the question is, what secrets do the American people have the right to know about? U.S. wars against poor and oppressed people? We just finished 20 years of horror with a million dead in Afghanistan, and Assange revealed the truth about that horror. Revealed the truth about 911, whether or not Afghanistan's government had anything to do with it. It was the same government today, you see, where President Biden publicly states, Well, I made a mistake in voting for the Iraq war because we didn't know any better. And last week, Colin Powell, who was the top four star general and the Secretary of State, the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, he said, oh, I didn't know about the truth of the war against Iraq. They all knew. But every single newspaper in the country blared front page headlines saying to the American people, we have to stop the madman Saddam Hussein because he has nuclear, biological, and chemical weapons that he's going to unleash on the people of the United States and cause cause death and destruction. So They sent inspectors all over the world and they couldn't find them, but the United States bombed that country to smithereens. They dropped more bombs on Iraq than World War II. Over the course of a few years, by sanctions and murder, the United States killed 1.5 million Iraqis, mostly civilians, but it was all a mistake.
0: And in fact, created five to six million refugees in the region just in the first several years of the second Iraqi invasion and occupation. I'd like to remind our listeners you're tuned to the Project Censored Show on Pacifica Radio. I'm your host, Mickey Huff. We are speaking in this segment today with Jeff Mackler. He is on the National Steering Committee and a member of the AssangeDefense.org site. He is also coordinator of the Free Julian Assange Organization and Movement in the San Francisco Bay Area. We are going to continue our conversation after this brief musical break. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Project Censored Show on Pacifica Radio. I'm your host, Mickey Huff. On today's program, in this segment, we're talking about Julian Assange. We are talking with a member of the Free Julian Assange Movement, and in fact, a major coordinator in the San Francisco Bay Area of AssangeDefense.org. This show airs across the country, and many folks listening to the show, some of these events will already be over. But because we are airing in the Bay Area Friday October 22nd, when it put out a shout out, Saturday the 23rd, that would be tomorrow for people in the Bay Area, from noon to one thirty. there's an event at the Grand Lake Theater, Grand Avenue and Lake in Oakland. Jeff Mackler is one of the main organizers, and we have him with us. Before the break, you heard a little bit of not just a history going back to McCarthyite witch hunts, but also why the U.S. government, is shooting the messenger. Why they're after Julian Assange. And Jeff Mackler, before the break, you brought up Afghanistan. You brought up Iraq, post-9-11 wars, part of the so-called war on terrorism, more like war of terrorism, mass carnage and loss of life in Iraq and Afghanistan. Assange's prime, according to the United States, then, is not making things up or not lying but actually just simply being a conduit for information leaked from whistleblowers through WikiLeaks. Chelsea Manning, one of the major whistleblowers from the Iraq war that also was targeted, imprisoned, for releasing these documents that showed that the U.S. soldiers were knowingly targeting reporters, targeting civilians. Of course, now I'm talking about the infamous collateral murder video that was released through Wikileaks. I think that was really one of the major things that came out of Wikileaks that really attracted international attention around Manning's documents. Can you talk about that, Jeff Mackler?
2: Absolutely. Let me say, you use the word whistleblower. That is someone who tells the truth about the horrors of U.S. war. Let me give you some statistics that I'm sure will shock you and your audience. There are 18 organizations along with the CIA and the FBI, that are part of the formal national security state of the United States. The government formally budgets $88 billion a year to defend its so-called national security. And that's just formally, it's much more. It's closer to $200 billion because the CIA's budget is secret. But I did some research, and anyone can check it. Take a guess, how many classified, high-profile, secret agents work for the national security state in secure positions in this country? 1.42 million people who are national security agents. That is, they work for the CIA and they participate in the kinds of activities that the CIA does. An additional 4.5 million people have another form of security clearance. That's a total of 6 million Americans who are basically in high-paying jobs in the business of spying on the whole world. Of those 6 million people, you mentioned three. And if you went through the list, it might get up to 10. 10 whistleblowers. The Obama administration prosecuted perhaps more than anyone else, but we're literally talking about a rare breed of people who tell the truth. They come to us perhaps once in a generation, and they reveal the daily horrors of United States wars against poor and oppressed people. So why are these literally 10 people, 12, Chelsea Manning, Edward Snowden, why are they a threat? Well, Snowden revealed that the United States spies on every single person in the entire United States, if not the heads of state in the world. The CIA exists and the national security state to defend the interests of the chosen few, the billionaires who basically run the United States. Our last election had two multi-billionaires parties competing with each other as to which one should rule. The Trump administration had as its former Secretary of State the head of Exxon Mobil, and he became our Secretary of State. He went around the world defending U.S. oil interests. So today, for example, the two enemies of the United States are, by coincidence, Venezuela and Iran. Why do we pick those nations? Is it a coincidence that they are number one or two in the world in oil resources that the United States wants? We forget that the United States installed the Shah of Iran in 1953 and took over the Iranian oil reserves. And when the Iranians had the nerve to have a revolution in 1979 to remove the Shah and install a government that nationalized the oil for the Iranian people, The United States basically declared war on the Iranian government, and your listeners may not know this. They called on their ally, the then Iraqi president Saddam Hussein, to organize a war, an invasion of Iran that lasted eight years—the famous Iran-Iraq War. Eight hundred thousand Iraqis and a million Iranians, and the United States provided the weapons, the logistics to the Saddam Hussein regime, who was touted as our democratic ally. A few years later, Saddam Hussein became our enemy, and the United States conducted two wars to blast that nation to smithereens. Today, they threatened to bomb through their Israeli counterparts the Iranian research facilities at Matanz. The United States, with regard to Venezuela, claimed that the Nicolas Maduro was an illegitimate president. They had 12 different elections, and the Maduro party won every one. So the United States organized a coup. They appointed their own president, Juan Guaido. So basically, we live in a national security state, and the danger of one, two, or three whistleblowers outweighs all democratic rights. They have to be crushed. Poor Julian Assange is nothing but a reporter, a WikiLeaks, a high-level, you know, computer-savvy reporter, and he releases information that is gotten from the United States. So in the name of national security, we conduct, we, the United States government, conducts genocidal wars everywhere on the planet. That's what the stakes are we defend Julian Assange, if he's convicted, he will be the first person ever to be jailed under the Espionage Act for being a journalist. So they have to say he's some kind of devious guy. He's a rapist. He's a Trump supporter. He's a right-winger. He's a nutcase. He's nothing but a journalist.
0: This is a free press issue. It is painful to see many people in the U.S. who identify as journalists, you and I maybe would call them corporate stenographers, or maybe we would call them other less flattering names, but there are really high ranking, widely respected people in the U.S. press that have been calling for Assange's head on a platter. And they've given platforms to the CIA and other government agents to actually call for his execution. And that goes back to the whole thing you started with, with House Un-American Activities Committee, McCarthyism. This is a strain, a thread in our history in the United States, a long-standing history of scapegoating and shooting the messenger. So could you talk a little bit more about, but what is the gravity here around the Julian Assange case? If Assange is extradited, if this happens, what do you see happening?
2: I think it's going to be the beginning of a battle a battle between the American people who support democratic rights, including the estimated 20 million people who fought for the simple proposition that Black Lives Matter. They're very nervous that in the context of a society that has lost 700,000 people to COVID, here you have the most powerful economy in the world, the richest nation in the world, and it has the highest number and percentage of its people who die from a pandemic because human health itself is subordinate to forcing people back to work, to not distributing and manufacturing healthcare medicines and vaccines. It's a society that is in constant trouble and we witness that during this period, we have the emergence of a new class of people, not billionaires, but some people approaching trillionaire status. The United States is perhaps number one in the world in the Gini coefficient, that is the discrepancy between the rich and the poor, where 1% own and control a majority of the wealth of the nation and the bottom control virtually nothing. So the national security state is there to defend the interests of the United States. Speaking of killing the messenger, an old friend of mine, Gary Webb, who was a San Jose Mercury News reporter, dared to break a story that said that the CIA collaborated with the Medellin cartel to bring crack cocaine into the United States and sell in the black communities in Los Angeles. For what purpose? To raise money for the war against Nicaragua. Well, let me tell you, to age myself a bit, I was on the National Steering Committee of Daniel Sheehan's organization that filed a $23 million lawsuit against the United States and exposed with time, dates, and place how the CIA, in order to get around the 1980 Boland Amendment, which prevented U.S. aiding the Contras, who were responsible for murdering Archbishop Romero, the Cleveland nuns, and so on. It was a massive movement against U.S. intervention in Central America following the Vietnam War movement. And people like Daniel Sheehan sued the United States for proving that the United States brought crack cocaine into the United States to raise money to defeat the Sandinista government, to overthrow it, to start a war. It was illegal. Ali North, who was Reagan's national security advisor, was convicted of it. Later, of course, the courts reversed his conviction. Then Gary Webb came along a decade later and exposed the same horror. What these two efforts proved were not exceptions, but they are the daily deeds. That's why when Yahoo News came out with a story after interviewing 30 government high-security people, indicated that when the CIA and their ilk discussed what to do with Julian Assange, they said, well, okay, let's illegally break into the Ecuadorian embassy and sequester him. But maybe maybe the Russians are there to do the same thing. So we have to be prepared. This is the Yahoo News story based on interviews with 30 top officials in the government, they said, well, if the Russians are there, we'll have a gun battle. But what happens, they calculated, if the Russians win and they try to take them to an airport? We'll organize a fleet of cars to stop them. But what would we do if they put them in a plane? We'll fly helicopters over the plane and interfere. We'll stop the plane if it takes off from landing anywhere on earth. What else? well, we can assassinate Julian Assange. That's a possibility. We can kidnap him and assassinate him. These are the statements of 30 government officials that three reporters from Yahoo News just released two weeks ago. Just imagine the CIA discuss these possibilities. What other possibilities do they discuss? They discuss bombing the Iranians, murdering Iranian nuclear scientists financing Israel as their representative in the Middle East to the tune of a billion dollars a year in military support. The entire apparatus, the national security state, the military-industrial complex, where the United States spends more than the combined forces of the next 10 powerful nations on earth. This is all aimed at defending the national security interests of Not the United States and the American people, but the super rich who own the oil corporations, who continue to produce greenhouse gases in the face of devastating evidence that it threatens all human life on Earth.
0: The largest polluter on the planet is the Pentagon.
2: Absolutely. So here we have a pandemic with 700,000 dead. A couple of weeks ago, 2,800 people we're dying of this pandemic every single day in the United States. So the United States National Security state the norm, not the exception. What they do to Julian Assange is what they do everywhere in the world. And you think I'm exaggerating. The United States government has 1,100 military bases in 158 countries. Its military operates everywhere in every continent. And the purpose, to overthrow any government that dares challenge U.S. interest, U.S. right to exploit and steal the resources, U.S. right to install every government. We live in a, a Potemkin village, a Truman Show world, created by the United States to present the illusion that we live in a democratic society. Right now, we're able to talk, but maybe not tomorrow. Maybe they want to take over and silence that voice. That is not to be excluded and argue that they're a threat to national security. The fact that the CIA is integrated into the official corporate news media, they write the stories for the reporters. It is a political atrocity that the great journalists of our time, or the New York Times, the Washington Post. The LA Times, they refused to print the story of Julian Assange. We sent out press releases, come to our press release, come to our press conference, come to our meetings, listen to the facts. And we have deaf ears, deaf ears, a terrible tragedy.
0: And Jeff Mackler, I wanted to punctuate your final point there. You know, when Daniel Ellsberg had the Pentagon Papers, the New York Times went to bat. And Richard Nixon lost the great Supreme Court case. Half a century later, the corporate press can't even show up. They won't cover any of these issues. That's, of course, why Snowden did what he did. And that's why we needed Julian Assange. That's what we needed WikiLeaks for, is that the press, the corporate press, for sure, and the state media, they're not doing their job. They're doing their job to defend the state and to defend this empire that you're talking about, Jeff Mackler. But the idea that they're somehow reporting in the public interest is a fairy tale of the worst magnitude.
2: Let me conclude with this. I lived through the McCarthy era and I saw it come to an end. It didn't come to an end because the Supreme Court voted five to four to say that civil liberties prevail. It came to an end because we built mass social movements, because we had a Martin Luther King and a Malcolm X, we had a mass anti-war movement. The fact that Martin Luther King had to argue for equal rights for blacks was an example of the racist state of America. The Democratic Party was the combination of Northern capitalist liberals and Southern racist segregationist bigots like Faubus and Eastland and George Wallace and all of the rest. That began to shatter when people in the millions went into the streets and demanded democratic rights, free speech, black rights, civil liberties for everyone, our future rests in our capacity to mobilize collectively and united front way.
0: Jeff Mackler, we're out of time for this segment, but I want to thank you for your time with us today and free Julian Assange movement. You can learn more at AssangeDefense.org. And again, Jeff Mackler, thanks so much for joining us on the Project Censored show today. And thank you, too, for your dedication over a lifetime to uh, activism and supporting a truly free press. Thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you, Mickey Huff.
0: You're listening to the Project Censored show on Pacifica Radio. That was my conversation with Jeff Mackler of AssangeDefense.org. Up next, we hear excerpts of a conversation I had in the summer with Kevin Gostola of Shadowproof, one of the key journalists covering whistleblowing, going all the way back to the case of Chelsea Manning. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Project Censored Show on Pacifica Radio. I'm your host, Mickey Huff. In this segment of today's program, we're going to look at all things whistleblowing. We are joined again by journalist Kevin Gastola. He is the managing editor of Shadowproof. He also produces and co-hosts the weekly podcast, Unauthorized Disclosure, and he curates the Dissenter newsletter. You can learn more about Kevin's work at shadowproof.com. Kevin Gastola, is one of the journalists that's been covering whistleblowing cases, huge high-profile cases the last decade. So, Kevin Gostola, it's always great to have you on the Project Censored Show. Welcome back.
1: Thanks for the introduction.
0: So many things happening right now. Let's start with one of the big ones, Julian Assange in the UK, the extradition case, still being punished and held in prison.
1: We are deep into the punishment by process. You could see this happening with another person who is on house arrest in New York, Steve Donziger, who's the target of Chevron. He was the attorney that represented people in Ecuador who had their lands poisoned by Texaco. And he's been on house arrest for two years fighting a bogus case. And then you look at Julian Assange's case and you see how the extradition process in the UK courts is being abused and manipulated by the US government in order to keep this publisher in a state of legal limbo. In this hearing that took place on August 11th, the judge in the High Court of Justice, this appeals court, basically reversed course and allowed the US government to appeal on all the grounds which they requested. It had been only three of the five, but they convinced the court that they should be able to challenge a neuropsychiatrist who treated Julian Assange from May 2019 to December 2019, who had determined that if Julian Assange went to commit suicide, he wouldn't be doing it to avoid extradition. He wouldn't be sitting in his cell in Belmarsh prison in the United Kingdom and say, well, I'm not gonna go to the United States. I'm going to kill myself tomorrow. It would be because of impulses that he cannot control as a result of his mental health disorder that we would find him tragically dead. So they're trying to disqualify this doctor and do so by claiming that he misled the court when he refused to disclose in his first report that Stella Morris and Julian Assange were partners and that he had fathered two children in the Ecuador embassy. And uh, that has no bearing. In fact, the judge, the district judge, when she did her decision, when she gave it, she analyzed all the information and said, that really doesn't have any bearing on his analysis of his medical health. So I'm going to say that while well, he misled the court, he didn't disclose its information, it doesn't matter. I'm still going to conclude it would be oppressive for mental health reasons or for health reasons to extradite him to the United States. The U.S. is challenging that he's at risk of suicide, directly challenging two doctors and their opinions, and basically saying that the district court relied too much on the defense's doctors, and we wish they would have paid more attention and given more weight to the prosecution's doctors, which we got to say what we wanted so we could clear the bar necessary to get Julian Assange to the United States and put him on trial in a case that threatens global press freedom. So that's where we're at. We are deep into punishment by process.
0: You've been covering it going all the way back to Chelsea Manning's case. Let's shift gears momentarily just because there's just no shortage of stories. There's no shortage of attacks on whistleblowers, and it's escalated. The Obama presidency, as you well know, saw more persecution and prosecution of whistleblowers than any presidency combined, and that trajectory seems to have continued through Trump. Now, Biden, who was VP under Obama, can you tell us a little bit about another case, the Reality Winner case? Can you give us a brief update on that case?
1: This one's more of a positive update, although uh, she still is continuing her sentence. And very sadly, President Joe Biden has not responded to the requests from people I understand who are actually establishment liberals. Michael Cohen actually took an interest in the Reality Winner case and was trying to get her a pardon or trying to campaign. So there are people who were anti Trumpers who took up her case, have been trying to lobby the Biden White House and they've been able to get nowhere. She's serving the rest of her sentence on home confinement in Texas, finally free from prison. She survived one of the worst COVID-19 outbreaks that occurred in prisons last year. That's something I'm certain many of your listeners do not know, but there were over 500 to 600 people at one point in the Federal Medical Center, Carswell, who had tested positive. So she was in a Literal hot zone, and now fortunately out of prison. But it's going to take quite a bit to rebuild our life. And CIA whistleblower John Kiriakou will tell you that when he was on home confinement, to him, it was somewhat worse than being in prison because there are restrictions that are imposed on you. You can't leave. You're supposed to seek employment, but they get to decide what job you get to do. They can reject it if you pick the wrong place. So if you want to do anything on progressive issues, they can say, well, no, we'd like you to go get a job at Subway.
0: The fallout of these cases, even if people are aware of them as a blip when they're happening, there's not a lot of follow up on what happens to people during or after these tragic situations. Whistleblowers, and I mentioned at the outset, it was National Whistleblowers Day at the end of July. And the history of that is pretty fascinating. Whistleblower.org, Government Accountability Project, our listeners can go and learn some more about the history of those, going all the way back to uh, the 1770s, actually, the significance of, of protecting whistleblowers. But a lot of that seems to be lip service, Kevin Gostola, because let's get into yet another case. The day before Whistleblower Day at the end of July, Daniel Hale was sentenced to 45 months in prison for blowing the whistle on drone atrocities and civilian casualties. Can you talk about Hale's case, Kevin Costola?
1: Daniel Hale is a Afghanistan war veteran. Just pause for a moment and mention how horrible it is what our U.S. military industrial complex did to Afghanistan for the last 20 years as we're recording it. The Taliban is continuing to take over cities and it's an absolute nightmare for the people of Afghanistan, the destabilization that we created. And Daniel was deployed there in the early 2010s. He joined because of the poverty draft, as it's known. It was a way to get to college. He didn't have the money to pursue the future he wanted. He didn't join because he was rah rah Patriot, I want to go bomb something or kill somebody I think is out to get the United States. He joined because it was going to be possibly his only way out of the despair that he had in in trying to figure out what he was going to do with his life. So he becomes a signals intelligence analyst. He's helping with the geolocation of targets that are on the kill list and he witnesses the gruesome and grisly nature of drone strikes. He brings that home with him. He has PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and he's not sure what to do in 2013. He's not certain of, do I want to speak out? How much do I want to speak out? What will I do with my life? But he does join Iraq Vets Against the War, and he speaks at a Code Pink summit, Code Pink, the anti-war group in D.C., well-known for their work. And he gets to address relatives of victims of the drone strikes in Yemen. And then in 2014, he does take a job. He still has a security clearance. He takes a job with the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, and he goes to work there. But there's a moment that has, he wrote about this in the letter to the judge, and he breaks, he can no longer be quiet. He decides to reach out to a reporter because someone at this agency invites him to stay after work and watch archive videos of drone strikes. And it's horrible, it's war porn, he can't take it. So he reaches out to Jeremy Scahill. He was seen in public with Jeremy Scahill. It put a target on his back. He was doing things that are admirable, but it left him vulnerable to the viciousness of this Justice Department. The FBI raided his home the last day of his work as a contractor for the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. He had provided documents to the Intercept, to Jeremy Scahill, uh, for the drone papers. It's a great series. It's an important series. It revealed More about the war crimes committed, showing that in one five-month span, 90% of the people targeted and killed were civilians and not militants or terrorist suspects. And so this was a big deal. At the time that he did this, Barack Obama was on our TVs lying about the fact that it is required. In order to kill someone, they have to pose an imminent threat. That's not the standard. It's a much, much weaker standard for selecting somebody. For assassination. This case was in a state of limbo, much like the Assange case, and the Justice Department actually couldn't find people in the department who would back issuing charges. That's a document that the defense uncovered. I reported on it and made sure people knew that there was this dilemma going on internally, but because they didn't close or shut down the case, the Trump administration was able to dust it off, and they indicted Daniel Hale for violations of the Espionage Act about the same time that they indicted Julian Assange for allegedly violating the Espionage Act. So, those two political cases are revived by the Trump administration and by the same group of people. In fact, they share the same prosecutor. His name's Gordon Cromberg. He's a very vile person. And so, this is what happened. And Now he is serving a 45-month prison sentence, far less than what the U.S. had wanted. They wanted to make him so big of an example, increase the chilling effect on whistleblowers and put him in prison for nine years. They didn't get that because he was able to show to the judge that he is a person of conscience and he really doesn't deserve to have the hammer brought down on him.
0: His letter to the judge was riveting and uh, people really should read it to understand that. And likewise, shadowproof.com, Kevin Gostola, we're talking to him right now. And my estimation here, our estimation of Project Censored, Kevin Gostola, one of the best independent journalists covering these kinds of issues. We will continue our conversation with Kevin Gostola after this brief musical break. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Project Censored Show on Pacifica Radio. I'm your host, Mickey Huff. In today's program, in this segment, we are joined by Kevin Gastola. He is the managing editor of Shadowproof. We're talking about all things whistleblowing. So before the break here, Kevin Gastola, we were talking about the case of Daniel Hale. We talked a little about Reality Winner. We began the conversation talking about Julian Assange. You've covered all of these cases, including going all the way back through Chelsea Manning and WikiLeaks. Let's keep going with this conversation and why whistleblowers need protection. And again, a lot of the press attention, Kevin Gostola, and I know you can comment on this, a lot of the attention these cases get really sidesteps the stories that they break, the illegalities that whistleblowers bring to the foreground, and it becomes an attack against them as people, them as disloyal. You already mentioned the Espionage Act. I was wondering if you could comment, given that you do this independent journalism. I'm imagining there's some hand wringing that goes on because I know you've sat next to people from the corporate media or not because there was an empty chair next to you because they didn't bother to show up. Talk a little bit about the media coverage of these cases and your estimation of the slant, the bias, and the propaganda against whistleblowers in our culture. Most of the
1: time, when you have a whistleblower that is prosecuted, like let's take Daniel Hale, you only see reports. When there are milestone events, for example, the person's indicted or the person goes to jail or the person is pleading guilty, the person is sentenced, uh, the person reports to prison, and that's it. We don't see coverage of preliminary hearings that are of consequence. They likely cover very little of the trial. If there is a trial, a lot of times there aren't because. You can't put on a public interest defense under the Espionage Act if you're a whistleblower. And so people don't get to see the way in which this more than 100-year-old law is being utilized by the Justice Department to silence people, many of them who are against war or challenging warfare. And so this is of great importance, and yet CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, New York Times, Washington Post other ones that we can go down the list and name are not capturing the full extent of the humiliation and punishment that is unfolding in the cases.
0: And again, that's very tragic and again, people that follow your work at shadowproof.com know this. They learn about the significance of these cases, the details of these cases. Maybe wanted to come even closer to the present with an unfolding case or maybe unraveling case. That of governor Andrew Cuomo in New York. That also is a whistleblower case. Can you talk a little bit about what's happening there?
1: People talk about it as like a Me Too story, but the woman who was the first to come forward with sexual harassment allegations, Lindsay Boylan, went on Twitter and she posted, and immediately the executives around Andrew Cuomo heard her allegation and decided they were going to try and discredit her. And they were putting together an op-ed. They drafted an editorial that could be put out to respond to her allegations and attack Lindsey Boylan. And it was done with consultants from Time's Up. Uh, Roberta Kaplan has resigned in disgrace from this organization that was part of the, the Me Too movement. And there was someone from Human Rights Campaign who was tarnished by this as well. And I think it just shows to you the problem of this liberal movement around Me Too and how it always has been for the last two or three years about the targets that are politically advantageous for the last six to seven months they knew about this and didn't get him to resign. It took an attorney general doing an investigation, Leticia James, and I think she should be praised because her work documented a culture of fear and intimidation at the, his office and, he, and, and showed that not only were sexual harassment victims or survivors afraid to come forward, but anyone with details of corruption, let's say about nursing home deaths, were being silent and not coming forward to say anything because they didn't want to get on the bad side of Andrew Cuomo. And so this is a whistleblower story, and she did a good job on this, investigating it and corroborating all the allegations. She also has taken a stand in support of Amazon workers who have blown the whistle against workplace abuses. So you see a lot of horrid, horrible stuff. And it's nice to know that this is a rare example of a public official who is using her office to do some good for some people who deserve to have their concerns heard.
0: People should read that report if they want to really see what's going on. For example, at CNN, Chris Cuomo was one of the people consulting with his brother while covering these cases, telling him how to handle the case. This violates journalistic ethics. And yet you still have people like Brian Stelter shilling for Cuomo, for Chris Cuomo at CNN. One of the New York City mayoral candidates just said that they should be firing Chris Cuomo. I certainly agree with that not being a proponent of cancel culture, but we're talking about somebody that's violated any journalistic principle that's on the books, Kevin Gostola.
1: It's a violation of ethics. And if he was on air and acting as an advisor of Cuomo, it would be something that he should declare at the top of every single program. But I know that didn't happen. I know he didn't say, I'm helping Andrew Cuomo survive a political scandal and, and now welcome to Cuomo primetime or whatever.
0: And so in this case so far we've seen that the governor has resigned but given these allegations given what's in this report from from the attorney general do you see this going further in terms of criminal charges or is this going to be just something that drifts back down the memory hole
1: I believe that the resignation's the bargaining chip to avoid criminal prosecution because I don't think that the prosecutors want a liberal governor to be dragged into a trial, especially going into a midterm election year. I'm sad to say that our system is so politicized, but he's a high-ranking official. And most people didn't even think he would be forced to resign. And the scandal around the nursing home deaths is far worse. And also, I think the way he abused his office during the pandemic to boost his image and sell his book is pretty horrid as well. And none of that is going to be anything that leads to a criminal case. So I just think he gets off scot-free. And what people should really and truly be focused on going forward is how the Lieutenant Governor, Kathy Hockule, will be as the Governor of New York. Is she going to do anything to repair the way The executive office functions so that the climate of fear and intimidation goes away? Or is she going to use it to her benefit and keep people in line so that they don't go to the press and shell details of corruption? This is a big state, New York. There's so much going on. There's a lot of corruption. And is she going to follow Andrew Cuomo's lead and keep people in check?
0: Well, time will tell, but if past is prologue, we probably won't be holding our breaths on that one. Sad to say. Kevin Costola, shadowproof.com. Anything else you'd like to share with our listeners or how they can get in touch with you or follow the many things you're doing from the dissenter, prison protest? You have something else on Shadowproof called the idiocrat. What can you tell our listeners about how to follow your work?
1: I'll just make one final note. If If you note anything from our conversation, these are cases we're talking about that stretch on for the last decade. They go through two Democratic presidential administrations and a Republican one, and there's not a whole lot of change and difference in the way they're treated. It does not matter who is in office. That's why I have this dissenter newsletter. I'm telling stories that break away from the partisan nature in which a lot of whistleblower stories are covered. You see In the conservative media echo chamber, they'll pick their own people who they see as whistleblowers. I'm thinking about Benghazi. You remember that. Mm -hmm. And then the progressive left will have their own darlings. I'm thinking of like the Ukraine call whistleblower that they wanted to use to nail Donald Trump. But we don't see support for the people who cross both political parties who are taking on the system. And that's this dissenter newsletter at the dissenter.org. I do this work. It covers government whistleblowers, corporate whistleblowers, institutional whistleblowers. If there's a labor union, there could be whistleblowers from there. tells all of these stories that are often ignored by the establishment press.
0: And that is why you are here once again at the Project Censored show. Kevin Gastola, managing editor of Shadowproof, produces and co-hosts the weekly podcast, Unauthorized Disclosure, curator of the Dissenter Newsletter. Kevin Costola, invaluable work that you're doing. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us again on The Project Censored Show.
1: Thank you.
0: You've been listening to The Project Censored Show on Pacifica Radio, established in 2010 by myself and Peter Phillips. I'm Mickey Huff, the executive producer and host of the program. Anthony Fest is our longtime senior producer. Thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Stay well. We'll see you next time. Think about crimes perpetrated by a criminal minds with political ties, habitualized alibis, skies, and other guise of democracy, politics, and the apocalypse. Got the skies like ominous. So the ocean burn bright with waves full of poison. Genocide wars fall for little boys poison. The weapons manufactured paid while I tax the bridges, and the levies and the mines collapsing. All the prisons, build the capacity, citizens. In the times for the master thief, can find the masterpiece. Open your eyes and be alive what's happening. Times running out the reach on potential fame. At the table, then you're probably on the menu. We got that love. Oh.